So I'm in St. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11, and I'm going to need our students to pay close attention because we're going to go a little deep. Mark 11, I'll start reading at the first verse. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered in to it, you will find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. Well, there's so many miracles just in that reading. I mean, how does he know that it's tied in this particular village, in this particular location? How does he know that it will be a suitable vehicle to take him into Jerusalem, given that no man has ever sat on it before? And if any man say to you, why do you this? Say, to the, say ye that the Lord has need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. So this is deep now. You're just going to unloose and take it. And if anyone says, what are you doing? Say, I'm doing something for God. The Lord has need of him, and they're going to let you go. Powerful words of knowledge there. Isn't that right? Don't be trying that now. You'll see a car parked. <laughs> if anyone asks what you're doing, <laughs> no, don't be trying that. <laughs> Just <laughs> okay. And they went their way, found the colt tied by the door without in the place. All of this happened. Jump down with me to verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Woo! The triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, fulfilling an ancient prophecy that your king will come to you lowly, riding on a colt, which is a donkey. So I'm going to speak into our collective destiny from the subject, be careful what you wish for. So have a look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, careful what you wish for. <laughs> Let's pray. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we're in your awesome presence, basking in the sunlight of amazing grace. We are so grateful for your presence, your power, and your purpose. We ask that you speak to us by the word, illuminate our understanding, help us to see more clearly than ever before, help us to see what we could not see before, transform us by the word, cleanse us by the word, be glorified in the word is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So be careful what you wish for. Um, in context, Jesus was here answering thousands of prayers prayed over a thousand years. He was answering prayer by showing up. Yeah. 
He was the answer to their prayers. Because the Jewish people in the first century lived under Roman occupation and the occupation was brutal, it was oppressive, it was barbaric. Jesus wasn't the first person crucified, neither was he the last. Actually, they crucified people for sport and left their carcasses hanging on the roadside so that as you entered a region, you would immediately know the price you would pay for treason, rebellion, dissent, because you could see it and you could smell it. And this terrified men, women, and children alike. It was horrendous, barbaric, and brutal. And every household prayed daily for the coming of the Messiah. Because in their theology and in their expectation, the Messiah will be a political savior. Woo! A what? Political savior, meaning that he will drive out the Romans, defeat them, and set up his own kingdom, which would mirror or reflect the kingdom of David. Who's David? Pastor David, who's David? I think an eagle just flew in. <laughs> Who's David? David is the worshiping warrior. He's the shepherd king. But he was the first <sighs> let me not call him that. Let me call him the king of the united kingdom of Israel. The king under whom the promises God made to Abraham were completely fulfilled. The borders of David's kingdom were the boundaries that God gave Abraham when he said, I'll give you this land. From here to here, from here to here, David fulfills all the promises God made to Abraham. And he is the king of a united kingdom called Israel. Why do I call it united? Because after David's decease and under his son Solomon, the kingdom was eventually divided. But David was the model king. Glory days, the golden era. And Messiah is going to be the son of David. He's going to be David's descendant. He will inherit the throne of David, meaning he will be a political Messiah who's going to solve our problems. Or should I say he's going to solve our problem? Because to them, the problem is politics. The problem is Romans. The problem is Rome. The problem is Caesar. The problem is the puppet regime that Rome has imposed on Judea. The problem is that we have a Roman procurator, Pontius Pilate. The problem is that we pay taxes to this system. Not no 17.5% VAT. They want everything. And they had their own people working for them, reporting on, spying on their neighbors. It was horrible. That's the problem. And Messiah, who is the political savior, is going to come and solve our problem and solve our problems. So that when he enters Jerusalem, they applaud him. They celebrate him. They pull out the, they rip down the palms, 
lay them out on the floor. They create a green carpet for Jesus. And they're even putting their clothes down. Royalty. And they say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Chaba Bashem Adonai is what they actually said. Yeah, I know some Hebrew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's keep it real now. He who comes in the name of the Lord, he who is the son of David, blessed be the, the king. That was treason. That was, that was collective treason to hail Jesus as king. You know what he was crucified for, right? The allegation above his head, he calls himself king. There's only one king, Caesar. But you have a whole crowd saying he's the king, celebrating him. And you would think that when people celebrate you, it will make you happy. However, it's in the same day, it's in the same season that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He's crying. They're shouting, he's crying. And I try to wonder sometimes, what was the expression on his face while they're shouting? They're shouting, he's crying. He's, a, he's choking up. Because that celebration kick-started a sequence of events that would culminate in his death, burial, and resurrection. And a lot of the things we read about in the Jesus story all happen in this one week. Like Lazarus. Like the cursing of the fig tree. Like the garden of Gethsemane. It's all happening in one week. How can a week that starts so good spiral out of control and veer downhill? How are you celebrated today and crucified before the week's out? I make it worse. We, I know we think the Romans crucified Jesus. And sometimes we think, oh, this the Sanhedrin decided to sell him out. And they crucified Jesus. But at one point, the same crowd that celebrated him were given an opportunity to release him. And they were, they were asked, who shall we release? Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, release Barabbas? He said, well, what do, I, what do I do with Jesus? They said, crucify him. Now, who are they? They are clearly the same people. Oh, God, help me now. The same what? Talk back to me. Don't make me climb through these pews. <laughs> the same people who said, blessed is the king, within a week are saying, crucify him. Oh, that's a big lesson for anyone. <laughs> anyone on a mission, on an assignment, don't get caught up in the crowd. Yeah, don't, don't get caught up in the crowd. Don't get inflated when you're celebrated and don't deflate when you, when, when you are criticized. Stay focused. And if you have to choose between fame and fortune, oh, help me now, choose fortune. <laughs> I know that's hurting some of you that are heavily invested in your social media profile. But if you had to choose, choose fortune over fame. Because famous can become infamous overnight. Famous can become infamous overnight. Anyone that's ever embarked on a God dream knows that you can be loved and celebrated today and hated and rejected tomorrow. It happens. Not sure how much of this we're going to edit out. But ask the Chancellor of the Exchequer how you can be the savior 
the Savior. <laughs> saved our jobs. Saved our small businesses through the pandemic. And then become the devil overnight. Now if you're going to choose, choose fortune. The same people said crucify him. People can be very shallow. And you must not allow opinion to, to govern your emotional state and your decision making. While they were celebrating, Jesus was crying. He's crying for a reason. You see, when they said, Messiah, come and save us. Come and set us free. They anticipated a political Messiah who would make political change. Jesus had no intention of changing any politics. He had no intention of solving their problems. Oh, I'm in trouble now. They wanted a savior who would solve their problems, fix their problems, and Jesus effectively said, I am not here to fix your problems. I am here to fix you. And if I can fix you, you can fix your problems. <laughs> and this is the common misunderstanding of folks who are waiting on a God who is going to change your life by solving your problems. And you wait for years and nothing changes because fundamentally he's about changing you. Because if he can change you, you can change your life, your lifestyle, and your world. So when you pray and say, God, step in and help me, what actually tends to show up is information. <laughs> Come on now. Understanding. What tends to show up is skills. And an increased capacity and the courage to make decisions that you should have made a long time ago. And that's God showing up. That's what God looks like when he shows up. He looks like courage. <laughs> he looks like this, this, this knowledge of what's, which way to go and which way not to go. God has showed up. Because he's here to fix you. And if he can fix you, you can fix your problems. If he can change you, you can change your world. He's after their hearts. They want someone who's going to change their politics. And he says, I'm not going to change your politics. I want to, your heart and I want to change your heart. So while you're celebrating, you're celebrating a misconception. You're shouting about something that's not true. You're celebrating my arrival because you think it's the end of your problems. But it's a misconception that's causing your celebration. Because that's not what I'm here to do. Because see, what I'm actually here to do, first of all, is to be the light of the world. Now, if you ask God to come in, the first manifestation of God in is light. Let there be light is the first order of creation. If God's going to create anything, he's first going to release light. What was the light in the beginning? It wasn't the sun, the moon, or the stars. That came about on the fourth day. The light of Genesis 1 is Jesus himself. Oh, help now. What? Yes. That's the Christ light. Let there be light. It's Christ light. If you doubt it, read John's version of creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. When you ask Jesus into a situation, the first thing that's going to happen is He will expose stuff hiding in darkness. I'm talking about a disruptive 
Messiah. You're out here celebrating because you misunderstand what he's about to do. What he's about to do is disrupt everything. And that's why the week goes pear-shaped, because he immediately begins disrupting. What is, how, why is he disrupting? Because he is light, and in his presence, all the darkness is being exposed. So he has come into the situation, he's exposed the fact that, that what looks like the house of God has no God in it. First place he goes to is the temple. And he looks around the temple. And he walks out. Disgusted. Because this looks like the house of God. But he said there's no God in it. No one will find God in this religious mess. Yeah, is Bishop going there today? Yes, I'm going there today. It's Palm Sunday. I might as well go there. His presence in Jerusalem was such an indictment on organized religion, such an indictment on the tradition, such an indictment on their status quo that he has walked in and he has exposed the fact that no one meets God here, no one finds God here, no one knows God here. This is not about God. This is about you. It's about power. It's about money. It's about status. It's about egos. It's about, it's about hierarchy. It has nothing to do with God God is not here and he literally goes outside and said if you want God you won't find him there you find him here boy he's disrupting from the get go <laughs> disruption <laughs> he goes off to Bethany and uh he sees a fig tree. Oh, help me now. A fig tree. The leaves, luscious green fig leaves. He's hungry. He goes up to the fig tree. <laughs> Weird. There's no figs. There's leaves, but there's no figs. And he says, no man eat fruit from you forever. And he walks on. The next day, the disciples notice that the fig tree has withered. It was cursed. Now, is Jesus really into cursing trees? No, no, no. No, no, no. You're going to understand. This is not how it works. And I don't want you just going around. And just because you didn't get what you want, curse the place. You know how some people are. You know, you know, <laughs> I went to the shop. I went to the Kentucky. At the end of the KFC. Because you don't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm revealing my age here. It's KFC. You go to the KFC and you want thighs and they only got legs. You don't walk out and curse the place. That's not, that's not Christian. That's not what Jesus was doing. It's not what he was doing. The fig tree was a metaphor or a symbol for Jerusalem itself. Woo. It was a what? It was, it was symbolic of Jerusalem of that day. And when he said, no one will eat fruit from you, he was effectively saying that Jerusalem, your days are numbered. And the reason your days are numbered is because you are advertising something that's not in stock. Too. It's because what's on the, the, the label is not in the can. You're out here saying this is the city of God, but God's not in the city. Ooh, going somewhere today. Getting wound up now. You know when I get in the glory, Judy, I can't even see the time. <laughs> it's like a cloud of glory. I cannot even see how much time you're telling me I have left. Oh, glory. <laughs> okay. Here's the, here's the point. You are advertising what's not in stock. I mean, I, I feel it for some of these people booking uh, flights. Only to turn up at the airport. And the flight's overbooked. Why did you sell the ticket? 
You turn up at the airport, the flight's not taking off. It's very disappointing if what's advertised is not really on offer or what's on the label is not inside the can. You buy baked beans, open that thing and spaghetti comes out. No! The figly tree was advertising figs. And the purpose of figs is to satisfy hunger. And here's what Jesus is symbolically saying. He's saying, as I am hungry right now, there are people in Jerusalem who are hungry right now. And it's not physical hunger. It's spiritual hunger. Because what they really need is a relationship with a living God. They need his presence. They need his power. More than a political shift, they need a prophetic shift. And they're hungry for for God and they're coming to the house that advertises God and when they get there there's no God there Isaac can hear me I am telling you that the presence of Messiah will disrupt before it constructs before there's any construction there will always be a demolition and before there's a demolition there's gonna be an exposing of what is not right and I just let me cut to some chases here today and say that we likewise live in a hungry world and it's easy to to miss the true hunger by looking at the politics and the economics and the conditions but you, what you're gonna find is that even even when you can afford to live the way you want to live, there is still a part of you that's going to be hungry because the spiritual appetite exists in every man. There is a vacancy that no amount of money can fill, that no amount of, of fame can fill, that no amount of fortune can fill. You will have that vacancy. If you don't believe me, why is it that celebrities who earn millions a month are dependent on substances, illegal substances, drug addicts, alcoholic addicts, suicidal, depressed, anxious, tablets to sleep, tablets to wake up. How is it that you have all this money but you have no peace of mind? Because there is a part of you that no amount of money can ever fill. And that's the part of you that was made by God for God. And it only exists with God and in God. And without God, everything else loses its meaning. The problem is that the house that advertises God doesn't really care if God shows up or not. I'm happy to sing because it's my turn to sing. Happy to exhort because it's my turn to exhort. I'm happy to do my part and play my duties because it's my turn to do it. And we do a lot of stuff. And see, perhaps what God is saying to us in this season is that it's not about what you are doing. It's about who you are being. And it's about getting back to the absolute core of a connection with supernatural uh, divinity that actually transforms your humanity and actually gives you the ability to su survive whatever the weak throws at you because weeks throw things at you. How many of you know it's true? You may have left there on a high last week and the weak throws stuff at you. Actually, new days throw things at you. But if you used this moment to connect with your God, you would have the power, the ability to survive whatever the weak throws at you. Whew. Let me tell you how Jesus felt about it. He said, he said, no one's eating fruit from you. And he was talking about Jerusalem. And within, within, within a short space of time, Jerusalem was demolished and leveled by the Romans. That's right. But was he just talking about Jerusalem? No. Because where do fig leaves first come up in the Bible? Ooh. Where do fig leaves first come up in the Bible? They come up in the Garden of Eden. 
where the first humans thought they could manufacture righteousness and made something to cover their own shame in the presence of God. Where humans created a barrier between God and themselves. And those fig leaves represent self-righteousness. They represent man-made righteousness. And Jesus said, I'm sick of this. And he cursed it. It's an indictment on organized religion. Woo. Yeah. Because we have to stop advertising what's not on offer. We have to change the label if it's not in the can. And if, if you can't meet God here, we are joking. Wasting our time and wasting everyone else's. If you can't meet God here. And what's it going to take to meet God here? Just take everyone? No. Jesus said it takes two or three. Two or three of you that are gathered together in my name. I will show up. And when I show up, I will show off. And when I show up and I show off, we'll see who's got the greater power. <sighs> Disruptive. He comes in and starts exposing people and places and it's ugly oh glory it's, it's <laughs> next time he goes into the temple you know what he does he sits in the corner and starts making a whip I just wonder what, you know, the, the gentle, meek, and mild Jesus that we've got in our head, this poet that just walks through the, with a flower in his ear, just reciting, reciting, blessed, blessed are the meek. No, he's sitting in the corner making a whip. And he's got a look on his face that not even his disciples are going to interrupt him. Because you know some people, they have a look. If you have authority, you have a look. You don't have to say anything. It's just a look he has on his face. Don't interrupt him. And when he's made the whip, no doubt he's tested the whip. Hold on a second. Tighten this piece. That's the sound I'm looking for. And he starts beating people. Kicking over the tables throwing the scales all over the place. Careful what you wish for. Jesus, come into my life. <laughs> because his presence will initiate demolition before it initiates construction. Because he's not about to cohabit with the demonic structures that have been built over many years. He's not about to move in with your status quo that's been killing you the, your whole life. He's first going to kick some stuff out. He's going to make some noise. And he's making noise. Now, he's disrupting. He's disrupting people's business. He's disrupting their status. And I don't know what people think of Jesus. Jesus must have... Okay, young people. Jesus must have been hench. Come on now. Let's... let's, let's, let's. Because how are you kicking over everything and throwing, dealing with people's business and no one's attacking him? So I said, no, 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 no. I don't think he was hench, Bishop. Well, you climb mountains and see how you look after that. I just think Jesus was strong. And uh, he's doing all of this. Because while they're rejoicing, he's crying. He's crying because he says, Jerusalem 
if you knew what belonged to you in this season, but you don't know because you're blind to it. And see, he can see that the house of God is no longer the house of God because people are blind to God and their priorities are all wrong. And therefore, all they have is a human mess. And no one that's hungry can really meet God there because they've got to get through everyone else's egos. They've got to get through the politics. They've got to get through all the hierarchies. And they've got to get through the system that was never designed with God in mind. It was designed with people in mind. And Jesus judges it by, now, of course they turn against him. In one week they turn against him. Why? Because he is disruptive. Right? <laughs> the same one we celebrate. He's disrupted everything. Things are not normal. Can I tell you that you cannot have what's next while cleaving to what's past? You can't have it both. You can't have the future holding on to the past. At some point, you have to let go of something in order to grab hold of something new. And sometimes it's like God has to yank it out of your hand because you won't let go. That's the nature of disruption. Messiah has come. Indeed, he has come. But he's not going to allow you to carry on as usual with him as an added extra. He says, you're going to have to choose between all of this and all of me. And he knew full well they would make the wrong choice. So he's crying. He weeps over Jerusalem. I'm almost done. He gets to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. Beautiful place, by the way. If you get to Israel, you want to go to Gethsemane. Everything else feels so commercial, but when you're in Gethsemane and you see the oak trees that are thousands of years old, you think, maybe he leaned on that tree. Huh? But do you know where Jesus won his victory? Not on the cross. He won the victory in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, he surrendered fully to the will of his father. He said, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. But if it's not, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. No one wants to suffer. Jesus didn't want to suffer because he was incarnated. He was fully human and fully human people feel pain. He doesn't want to suffer. But he says, if that's your will, I surrender to your will. And in his moment of surrender, he got victory over the cross. Because from that moment forward, whatever they threw at him, they were throwing at a dead man. Think about it. See, once you've decided that you're going to pay the price to get what you want, whatever people throw at you, they're throwing at a dead man. Because you've already anticipated all of it. He's anticipated the rejection. He's anticipated. He's won the victory in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that this great week that starts so great ends up with Jesus crucified. And so I wanted to say this to you. That not everything good in your life is good. And not everything bad in your life is bad. Because on the surface, Palm Sunday looks good. And Passover, 
crucifixion Friday looks bad. But in truth, the celebration of the palms was bad. Because it was a celebration of a misconception. They should have been weeping because actually he was initiating huge disruption. And at the cross when they're crying, they should have been celebrating. Because what looked bad was really good. Which is why we call it Good Friday. How did you find it good? I found it good because in his sacrifice, he secured salvation for millions that would come after him. He created a new nation. Out of his side coming blood and water was like out of Adam's side coming a rib for the creation of a new person out of himself. Everything good in your life is not cause for celebration. And everything bad in your life is not cause for crying. I feel led now to tell you the story of the Chinese farmer. Y'all ain't going to help. But please listen, because this is for someone today. I don't know that I know who you are, but I know this is for you. A Chinese farmer. He had one horse. The horse broke its leg. And the people of the village came along and said, oh, that's really bad. He said, maybe. We'll see. The next day, a horse trader came through the town and felt for him and said, you know what? I'm going to give you a horse. Actually, I'm going to give you several horses because I feel for you. Now, all of a sudden, out of his, his misery, out of his hardship, something good has happened. And he's now got several horses. And all the villagers came out and said, oh, wonderful. It is so good. He said, maybe. We'll see. His son jumped on to one of the horses, took it out for a ride. His son fell off the horse and broke his leg. The villagers came out and said, oh, it's so bad. He said, maybe, we'll see. The next day, the Chinese army came in to recruit men as soldiers for the front line. And they came in and every young man had to go and join the army. But when they saw the farmer's boy with a broken leg, they said, he can stay behind. all the villagers came out and said wow isn't it good that your son got to stay with you he said we'll see the moral of the story is that you actually don't know what is good or what is bad until you see the effect it has on your ultimate destiny You have to wait before you pass judgment. Y'all ready? Are you ready for me? Can y'all handle me today? Huh? You lost a job. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, the pandemic was really bad. I had to close down the business. It's so bad. Hmm? <laughs> Is this making sense? Somebody left you, rejected you. It's so sad. Huh? 
You got a new job. Paying more money. Isn't that really great? Got an, a new person has come into your life and filled that gap. Isn't that really great? Stay focused. It's not important that you're famous. It's important that you're faithful and you have to stay focused. Jesus is not, oh, they love me. They love me. Can you hear it? Listen to them. They all love me. This is great. He just keeps riding into Jerusalem, fulfill the prophecy. Really great, isn't it, Jesus, that the people received you? Maybe. We'll see. A few days later, we saw people shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's really bad, Jesus, isn't it so bad? I got to go to the cross somehow. These people got to help me get to the cross. I'm not going to have a resurrection unless I have the crucifixion. And I don't really want to go to the cross. So I'm really happy that some people are taking me there. Who was I speaking to today? Was I speaking to If I was speaking to you, put your hand up in the air. I want you to say out loud with me. Say maybe. We'll see. Huh? <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> oh, you come and say, Bishop... Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me, Bishop. I feel so abandoned. Isn't it really bad? Ask me in five years' time, and I'll tell you if it was really bad. Because when we know what the impact on your ultimate destiny, then we can say this is good or this is bad. Everyone to your feet, please. I do apologize for not following any of the timekeeping rules. So I'm going to make a little prophetic statement. I need you just maybe just get in the spirit, lift your hands into the presence, the presence of God, and we'll make a prophetic statement to you. And I'm going to declare to you that in this season where bad things have happened to you. God wants you to know that he is making good out of every bad situation. God wants you to know that the thing you lament today, you will celebrate tomorrow. God wants you to know that his perfect plan is being executed systematically in your life. And there, though there are things you didn't want to let go of, you will one day thank God you had the courage to let go. Woo! Because God is not here to fix your problems. He's here to fix you. And when he has fixed you, you will fix your problems. And you're going to feel a tremendous sense of self-esteem in the process of fixing your own problems but if someone comes in and fixes them all for you you have learned no new skills you you have not grown you are vulnerable and open to another attack on the same level but God says I'm going to take the bad things and I'm going to bring good things out of them for you and before you celebrate all the good things, just keep in an even place that says, maybe we'll see. Got this new thing happening. It might be good. We'll see. Because that stops you from being dashed to the floor every time something goes wrong. Hello, somebody. So with your hands lifted up to God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us that a wave of energy to stay focused will, will fill our hearts. Father, in this week, this passion week, this suffering week, this holy week, I pray for focus. 
I pray that you will bless us with the ability to stay focused on our mission, focused on our calling, focused on our Savior, focused on good things. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that our focus will not be broken either by celebration or by lamentation. We pray that our focus will not be broken by all of the victories or by any of the defeats. We pray in the name of Jesus that we will find a place to lock our eyes on and to keep moving steadily in the direction of our destinies. And Lord God, be glorified, be magnified, be celebrated in the name of Jesus in our lives so that even the darkness becomes light, even the bad things become good, even the difficult places become places of gratitude and gratefulness. Lord, we believe with our heart that you're taking us on an amazing journey and that this path will get brighter and brighter until the perfect day. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Would you put your hands together and give Jesus a great big clap offering? Great big clap offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, This is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.